Welcome to another fabulous episode of My Orgasmic Life. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Gaia Morissette. And before we get into our conversation with my one of my favorite people, we have our designated My Orgasmic Life porn expert, <laughs> Lindsay G. Um, and uh, before we get into that, a couple of housekeeping things. Number one, host tip your hostess. That's me. Tip me. I work hard for you. Buy me a coffee. All right. And you can do that by joining my Patreon account and become a member. And then there's all sorts of fantastic programs and courses that I will talk to you at the end of the show. All right. Miss Lindsay G. We're going to talk about, we just before we started, we're like, all right, so what are we going to talk about? Because we talked about porn a lot <laughs> in different ways. And so today we decided that we were going to talk about women's relationship with porn. And mm -hmm. so when we use the word, just so that it's all, on, everybody's on the same page, when we use the word women, that is anybody who identifies as a woman. Okay? Yeah. All right. So where do we want to start on this conversation? Ooh. Well, um, I mean, it's it's a huge topic because women's experiences are so varied. And I know that, you know, I, for one, sometimes really roll my eyes when I hear people say, like, women this, women that. Um, so, yeah, we want to be clear that we're talking about anyone who identifies as a woman, but clearly we're not going to touch on every single person's experience because it's way too vast. So just want to put that disclaimer out there. I like it. That's perfect. It's great. Yes. Cover our asses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get mad. Don't, don't get, get mad. mad at us. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yes. It's a very wide gamut and we will not be uh, able to include everybody because uh, show is can only be for so long. So we're going to we're going to we're going to talk in generalized terms. And if this doesn't relate to your story, that's OK. That's we are not denying that your experience is valid. Your experience is incredibly valid, even if we don't even talk about it. OK. Yeah. All right. So let's start with let's start with the perception of how women are societally in North America, anyways, we're going to talk about, and from a North American perspective, how we've been taught that we're supposed to feel about porn. Oh my gosh. This, I, <laughs> this is exactly what I've been thinking about recently. Um, so I, I want to talk about history a little bit um, to kind of get to where we are today. Um, and the history for me that I'm thinking about at least starts back in like the late 1970s and 1980s um, when the anti-porn feminist movement really took off. Um, a lot of the time it's called second wave feminism, you know, anti-porn feminism. Um, there was a, a group of women who were, you know, women's lib, like early feminists who were really into women achieving equality in society, which is a great goal and I'm all about it. Um, but they, they got it into their heads that basically all porn is bad for women. Um, I'm thinking particularly of uh, Andrea McKin McKinnon and, and hang on, I'm mixing up two names. Andrea Dworkin was a writer and activist and Catherine McKinnon, who she like buddied up with for a lot of their careers was a lawyer. 
Um, and the two of them together form this really powerful team. Um, Andrea would write and orate these like fiery speeches that really got people riled up. Um, and then Catherine McKinnon would come in with like the legal, the legal underpinnings of how to sort of support all of her ideas. So they were a really, really strong team. And Andrea Dworkin was one of the, like the pillars of, you know, mid to late 20th century feminism. And I, we owe her a lot for a lot of the things that she did for women, but she really, really hated pornography, like with a fiery burning passion. And one of the things that she believed was that pornography was the filmed practice of subjugating women, that mm -hmm. all porn was inherently bad for the women who performed in it. And then because men specifically, she said, watched porn, then they, you know, they absorbed what they saw, thought that it was how you were supposed to have sex. And then it went on to hurt every other woman because they were having sex with men who then subjugated them in the ways that they saw happening in porn. And I am not in any way going to say that that doesn't ever happen because that's certainly, <laughs> that's a thing that can happen. Um, but she was, she said across the board, I, and I'm gonna say the R word here, so, you know, trigger warning, but basically her theory was boiled down by most people to all porn is rape. And that really has been carried forward for decades. I think that there's still a lot of people who believe that that is true of porn, that it victimizes and hurts women across the board, and that there's like, there's no redeeming quality to it. And therefore that women who are consumers of porn are bad because they are taking place in the, or they're taking part in the experience of like hurting women and themselves. Um, yeah, I want to weigh in. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> All right. So as a hardcore feminist, in case people don't know that about me, right? Um, <laughs> me too, me too. All right. That um, I think that we also want to put this in context because at that time in history, women were subjugated. Women weren't empowered. Women were not coming from, not being able to make empowered choices around their sexuality, around their finances, around yeah. their body, around anything. Right, and, and that, that is really important, yes. So that's really important that in that time, in that place, there is a lot of truth behind that belief system. Mm -hmm. And there was nobody to speak up for the oppression of women around women's sexuality. Yeah, yeah. And so the only, the only representation that people were engaging in women's sexuality was with pornography. There was no other way to engage with women's sexuality. Either women were not sexual beings, period, or they were a prostitute, or they were in porn. That's it. Those were your three ways back then for a woman to have any sexual context at all in the culture of North America. Right, that's a really good point. And, and the idea of being a porn performer and or you know a, a prostitute slash sex worker <clears throat> was just viewed as like inherent victimization. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, a lot of the time that may have been true because particularly the porn industry 
um, if we're talking like late 70s un up until the late 80s, was not a legal enterprise. It was mm -hmm. it existed in this very nebulous gray area. Um, and, you know, the, the porno chic era of the 70s when, you know, big screen theaters were showing porn films all across the country and they were like nice films like there are some great 1970s porn films that you can like literally watch with popcorn because they're good enough to consume that way um all of that was the funding for them was extremely murky a lot of it came from organized crime and a lot of the people who were working in these films like they weren't porn star professionals in the way that we tend to think of them today because there wasn't this um legitimate legal industry supporting them um and so a lot of these people, like you don't, you couldn't know whether they were really on that set because they wanted to be, or if they were being manipulated in some way. And one of the things that really got Dworkin and McKinnon started on the series of actions that they took to try to suppress pornography um, was Linda Lovelace in Deep Throat. Um, that movie came out, I think in 72, and it really started the porno chic era and made porn films like really popular because um, it just like took off like wildfire. I think she was on like Johnny Johnny Carson. Um, Linda Lovelace became like a, a household name. And then in 1980, she came out publicly and said that she had been coerced into doing that movie, that it had been, she'd been abused and coerced by her husband who was I think the, the manager for the movie, um, the production manager. So then she came out with all of these horror stories of the way that he had treated her and how he had like convinced her, coerced her and forced her to take part in the film. Um, and in the end, there was no legal action taken because the statute of limitations had run out on what she was able to actually legally pursue. Um, but her story really galvanized Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon into writing all of these, you know, books. And they tried to, uh, they tried to make it, they tried to make pornography itself a civil rights violation for women so that women could pursue legal action in the courts. Like there is so much just based on Linda Lovelace's personal experience. Um, well, and I think, and, and I think, like I said, I would like, I, I want to get into us moving into the next part about how this may be affecting women who like, like actually, I know, I know I got you started talking and it's my bad history. I should, I should, I should know better. My bad. All right. But I'd like to kind of, to put it into this, to frame this, reframe this. So yes, there was, there was a need for a recognizing of a movement that needed to be started around let's look at how are women being consumed sexually from a pornography standpoint right. and that is the beautiful catalyst that was created from that but as byproduct of that catalyst we have many shoots like and throughout his history there's many like somebody gets starts a, a thing and then it gets taken a little too far and yeah. then it goes so too far and then everybody rebels against it so yeah, that yeah. that is pretty much we could talk about any movement and that's the sequence of events <laughs> that happens right somebody gets outraged someone starts a movement 
the movement gets the recognition for us to look at our own personal relationship, our societal relationship, gets us to look at something. And then the movement then tends to go a little too uh, extreme and yeah. vilify everything and all consumption of it instead of yeah. looking at it from a perspective of like, all right, this made to shed some light. We looked at it. That's course correct. Now, what else do we need to shed some light on? Yeah, and and the, that movement did do a lot of really good stuff. Like I'd say that one thing that we've carried forward from it is like rather than just blanket looking at people who do sex work as these like fallen women, mm -hmm. like, you know, who deserve to be fallen women, it really actually made us start thinking about sex workers as people. Mm -hmm. Like these people may be being victimized, let's help them as opposed to, oh, well, you know, look at what they do for a living. Um, and that's huge. But it then has turned into a lot of people thinking that sex workers need to be saved all the time. And that's where I think a lot of people today who aren't, aren't as into porn history and all of the nitty gritty as I am maybe, you know, that sort of dominant thinking that like sex workers are probably being victimized and need to be saved from themselves is where a lot of people come into the conversation and they, they, that's where they start at because that thinking is still so dominant in our culture. Um, and, and there, it, also... it can't be, I, I just want to cut you off for a second with love. <laughs> no, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I was about to go on a whole other tangent. So this uh, is which is there can be truth behind that, but before you come into a conversation. And so this is, this is the teachable moment in life. Okay. Before you come <laughs> into, this is the, oh, over the umbrella. Okay. Here's the umbrella of the teachable moment around this. Before you get into a conversation about anybody needing to be rescued or saved, whether we're talking about sex working, prostitution, um, BDSM, uh, anything at all, homelessness, whatever we're talking about, don't jump to conclusion that you need to rescue or anybody even wants to be rescued or saved. It's not your job to go around rescuing and saving people. If you have the capacity to support people to better their lives, ask them if they want you to help them better their lives. That's the question. Before you go into rescue mode or assumption mode, ask, ask the question, do you feel empowered in what you're doing? Are you happy with what you're doing? Is there any support that I can offer you? Mm, hey, that's a nice line. I like that. All right. Yeah. If the answer is, yeah, I could, I would like you to consume my porn more. So that would help me financially. <laughs> then that <laughs> might be a very way to support them. Or it might be, you know what? I'm struggling in my life and I got some trauma that I need some heal healing with. I need some support in that area. The person need, will know what they need if they want anything. Don't assume they need anything. Don't assume that you're the one that's going to save them. Don't assume any of that shit because when you assume, you basically are making an ass of yourself. And not only making an ass of yourself, but you also are not doing it for the right reasons. Let's, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna call everybody shit right now, mm -hmm. all right? Is that when you go into rescue mode, it's to make you feel better. It actually isn't about that person that you're trying to rescue. Because if it was really about the person, you would stop 
and ask them what they want and what they need. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank All you. Right. Thank All you. Right. <laughs> you know, I, it's really true. Like, and I, I do think that um, that mindset that like, oh, these poor women, um, it really, it, it prevents a lot of people and I think primarily women who have feminist leaning tendencies or who have just heard that porn is bad, it prevents people from having a healthy relationship with this vast, huge form of media. Um, and like we said before, you know, we're not gonna touch on everyone's experience because it's so varied. And the same can be said for consumers and for performers. Yes. You know, there are certainly people who are doing porn who like, maybe aren't there for reasons that are great for them and maybe they do want to get out but there's tons of people who love what they're doing and that's why they're doing it in the first place um and you know every variation on on that spectrum in between those two ends so yeah you can't look at someone and assume that you know what's best and it's important to realize that probably the way that you're thinking about it is is informed by really outdated and untrue assumptions that came from like decades ago that just no longer really apply so um so let's talk was, let's talk I about think, people's consumption of porn now yes okay oh. let's talk about the average person now <sighs> all right the average woman so let's talk about i did this great interview recently for tickle.life with this amazing woman and that she shared her story of her her porn relationship with porn and i was like that's a beautiful story and it started with starting by her first finding the finding of the pornography right whether it's in <laughs> yeah, like well, that's the best place to start I love right <laughs> you know like how you found it you found the the magazines depending on how old you are you found the magazines we didn't have back then we didn't have a lot of the options that we have we didn't have the internet back then okay so that's how old i am so <laughs> yeah so you found a magazine and i remember finding my uncle's magazines and you know my uncle's magazines of like these naked women and they were like hustler and playboy and you know and the different positions that they were in and different things that we did, they were doing. And I remember, you know, me and my cousins, like looking at them being like, what is this? And what are they doing? And why does, why, why does, why does she have fur? I don't have fur. She has, you know, and then asking my cousins, do you have any fur? And she's like, no, I don't got any fur. I don't know why she's got fur. Right? Like these really awkward, but yet sweet moments of discovery. Yeah. You know, which accompanied is accompanied by possibly a weird feeling that was new yes, <laughs> in your nether region. In your nether region. So you weren't sure what that was about, you know, yeah. right? And, and then all of the potential shame that could be imparted in that moment of getting caught. Yeah. You know, you know, so at some point, you know, often the story leads to, and then my parents found out I found their porn. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then there's the, the, how do the parents handle it? Like, you know, how the parents handle it make a big difference in how we grow up and develop to be okay with Absolutely. that, that our right. sexual I, relationship. Yeah. Like the, the shame that often comes with early experiences, especially with porn, because it's like the, the, 
it's easy to see that you're looking at porn and then blame the porn. Like, yeah. I think that that shame plays really well into the sort of cultural understanding that porn is bad for people and you shouldn't, you know, it, you can go from one right into the next with like s- seamlessly um, yeah. without thinking a whole lot about it. And I think no, a lot because... of people, especially women do. Yeah, well, and especially the piece around that whole like, sex is bad. And we've already been told that porn's bad because it's talking about sex or showing sex or people actually having sex. So therefore, in our minds, it can go very much that it then sex is bad, porn is bad, it's all bad, I shouldn't do it. And what's wrong with me because I want to. Yep. Oh, yes. Yes, very much. I was watching a show the other day, I don't know if it is available um, north of the border, but it's called Pen15. Because <clears throat> you know how like in middle school, everybody would write Pen15 instead of penis and then ha ha ha, hilarious. So the name of the show is Pen15. And it's about these girls in middle school. And the one girl starts masturbating, like discovers masturbating early in life. And then there's this conversation with her best friend where she admits what she's doing and she's like and I'm touching myself because it feels good and I'm disgusting and I'm even more disgusting because I'm a girl yeah and I was like oh honey we've all been there because girls don't talk about that girls are very much prohibited from talking about that so you're so alone in that situation feeling like everybody disapproves of what you're doing but you want to do it anyway and you might even, depending on who you are, you might be doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. And that can cause a huge cognitive dissonance between really wanting to do this thing that feels so good for you and every other message you've ever gotten about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then that builds our like, and again, we're supposed to be quiet about that. We're not, we have no one to talk about it. And then if we got caught, then there's a whole story that can happen there. And then you, you, you know, you certainly don't talk about it with your girlfriends because like, we're not talking about that. Um, and then you end up in a relationship and you start having a sexual engagement of some sort with a partner. And all of a sudden now there's this new frame of sexuality that's kind of okay to have, but yet still not necessarily okay to have because you're not technically married. So therefore you shouldn't be doing any of it. Mm -hmm. And then, but yet if you happen to be dating boys, if you're a girl and you happen to be dating boys, they have porn, they're allowed to whack off to porn. They're allowed to have all those things. But what happens when we want those things? Oh, right. Yeah. And I remember, I'm going to share a story of my own journey around that, was that I remember uh, I had one partner who was awesome that I would be like, I, I found, I discovered, so I had a friend who like showed me porn and it was a video and it was like the first porn movie I ever watched was called The Golden Bone. And <laughs> and so we were watching this video and I'm like, oh my God. But like as a little, as a young girl, we, I wasn't like, like, and this porn was given to him by his friend who got it from his friend who got it from, stole it from his dad. You know, like there was like, like this porn, <laughs> this is porn, this porn video has like been passed through the whole neighborhood. <laughs> For me to watch it, to be sitting there and watching this movie 
and it stirring up inside me of watching people have sex and being all feeling funny inside and aroused and then not really being allowed to be aroused because I'm watching it with my best friend who we are not sexually engaged with each other. So like, so so, so this is awkward, weird, like he's turned on, I'm turned on. We're not allowed to talk about being turned on. (laughs) And then he gives me a solid and he's like, here, you can take this home and watch it. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so I get the next, I'm the next person in the lineage of the destination of this porn movie that's gone around the neighborhood. <laughs> and you can only whack off so many, me personally, I could only whack off so many times to watching the same movie. And you're like in your house, like there's not, you didn't have like a TV in your room or like a, you know, back then or, a, you know, a VHS, you know, tape machine right. you know like there was only one in the household so you had to wait until try to get when everybody was out of the household and I was like the oldest of six kids like there was never mm-hmm. anything not in the household <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't want to get caught and it was this really interesting thing though that then my next boyfriend I was wanted to watch porn like I really really liked how it made me feel and I couldn't there's no way I could go get my own porn like I'm I'm first of all it's illegal because I wasn't 18 and two I'm a girl like who's gonna give a girl porn like no one's gonna give a girl porn pretty sure that's illegal (laughs) yeah like I'm pretty sure that nowhere am I gonna be able to walk into the tiny little convenience store by the way and because I lived in a small little town and be like hey can you give me that porn bag or I'd like to rent that video? Like that's so right. not going to happen. Yeah. Cause it's likely that the person behind the counter knows you. Not only knows me, but knows my parents. So right. like, <laughs> talk about awkward conversation with your parents. Right. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> so I had to get my boy, my boyfriend who was older than me. Right. So I was about 15 at this point. And my boyfriend was 18, so he could go get porn easy. Like, it was totally, totally easy for him. He was a dude, and he was 18. And so I kept making him go get me porn. Like, he was like my porn dealer. (laughs) (laughs) And he would go get me porn, all different kinds of porn. And I remember it being a really beautiful sort of, like, showing me all the variable possibilities that was expanding my sexual repertoire that was beyond just you know doing a missionary position right and I for me that was a very like I had a really good relationship with it and but then my next boyfriend was not cool like the first boyfriend the first boyfriend was like okay here you are you little porn junkie (laughs) and he thought it was super hot that I was watching porn and getting turned on because then he didn't even have to work to turn me on he just put the movie in put the (laughs) movie in I got turned on then he got to have sex with me like it was a win-win for him (laughs) but the second boyfriend had all sorts of weird insecurities and belief systems around sex and sexuality and that he's the only one that should be the one that turns me on and I shouldn't be turned on by anything else and so he created a lot of shame that I had to hide I had to hide my porn desires Mm -hmm. um while I was with him so yeah I think I think that that is a much more normal 
experience, honestly. There, there really is like this very deep cultural understanding that your significant other is the only, if, if you are female particularly, yes. that your significant other is the only place that you're supposed to get turned on. Um, and that is A, like not reasonable. That is not a reasonable <laughs> expectation. But it's also, like you said before, it's more acceptable for a woman to be doing sexy stuff with a partner than by herself yeah um and so it's it's amazing that you got to have that experience of like having a significant other who was cool with helping guide you through this like exploration um using a tool other than himself you know yeah he was a super rock star on many 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 ways of being a key key ingredient in the development of the wild crazy liberated sexually empowered woman that i am i feel very blessed that i had him early on in my sexual evolution um Mm. because it framed how for me it framed that sex was an exploration like sexuality was about exploration on all fronts and so that really dropped that in for me and I feel very blessed that I had that because for most women that has not been their experience at all well and I think it really highlights one of the main possibilities for what Mm -hmm. porn can be um because I think that there's so much negativity that surrounds it that a lot of you know female people like come to it with all of this shame already that they're carrying about it and with all of these ideas that it's bad for them, it's bad for everybody. But one of the best things about porn is that it is a safe way to explore sexuality, Mm -hmm. different positions, different just ideas, different fantasies, you know, different practices. Like there's so much out there. And that is one of the best ways that, that porn can be used is to figure out what excites you and try some of those things in your life if you feel safe doing them. Um, Oh, yeah, which is beautiful, which is which is the beautiful thing when we take out the unhealthy porn, because there is unhealthy porn where there is disrespect, there is not consent, there is all those things like the that porn still exists. That's why you need to be more. I think, and that's why in our next interview that we're going to do is talking about how do we make ethical porn consumption choices and how to go about doing that that I think will be our next should be our next uh our next our next time together but I really believe that when you take when we talk about the get rid of the dysfunctional side of things and the disrespectful side of stuff and we're left with the entertainment the possibilities the exploration and the place of consent there's a lot of beautiful things that can happen as using porn as a tool to expand who we are as sexual beings. Yeah, yeah. And I think that your story really makes me think about the, the, the fact that porn is a tool mm-hmm. for most of us. It is meant to be a tool. And the tool is to get us sexually aroused. You know, that you're, that's the point. Um, yes. But when it comes to the dynamics within a relationship, it can be used as a tool of exploration and actually connection between people. When yep. you know it's when it's used to explore new ideas, and it turns out that both of you, or however however many of you are involved, are all into this idea. 
that's a really beautiful, intimate connection that you can explore and that can really deepen a relationship. But I think that what happens more frequently, and in my experience, what a lot of women are very concerned about, about porn in a relationship, is that it will instead become a wedge that divides people because there's so much shame around it that talking about it and experiencing it and using it as a tool of exploration together is almost impossible. But even just talking about it in a calm <laughs> manner can become impossible for people who have a lot of hangups about it. And then instead of it being this beautiful connection device, it becomes this thing that slowly pushes you apart because if someone is finding something that they really want or something that's really good for them, you know, sexually or, or whatever, that they can't talk about with their partner, it's likely they're gonna seek that thing out more often. And then the other partner is gonna feel this disconnection happening. And, you know, instead of coming together over it, often it can drive people apart. Um, well, and that's a beautiful thing that we should talk about because it's an important piece of this story. <laughs> this is the other side of the story. Okay. Which is that when we carry shame, and that's really where it comes down to, when we are carrying shame and that belief system that my partner, I'm the only one that can be the person that gives my partner gratification. So those are the two pieces of the puzzle here. When we're in a relationship and we believe that it's our responsibility to be the only thing that gives sexual gratification to our partner, we're setting ourselves up for horrendous trauma around porn. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is the piece that goes into um, what if it's stuff that I'm not into. So again, it mm -hmm. filters back into I not only are you finding sexual gratification from something other than me, but it's also something that I'm not physically don't look that way. I can't physically uh, do that. That's not something I'm desiring to do it. Mm -hmm. So it, again, it drops into another piece around I am not fulfilling what my role is and right. you are looking outside of our relationship. So therefore you are cheating on me. And so it's yes. the same energy mm -hmm. as a betrayal and a cheat because we're moving from that paradigm that you're the one only or you're only allowed to be the one that gives you sexual gratification. And that can fall in that stuff can fall into sex toys that can fall into somebody flirting with somebody at the restaurant that I mean, that go that rabbit hole is deep, deep. Yeah. And nothing good ever happens inside that hole. There's many holes that are good. That is not a good <laughs> hole to be in. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember um, it was probably a decade ago, maybe more than that. Um, I was on like a road trip with some friends. We were like we were in New York, we lived in New York City and we were going upstate for a friend's wedding. And we like rented a car, you know, we're like blasting music, we're having a great time. And at that time I was, I think I was in the period of my career where I was interviewing porn stars a lot um, for this magazine that I was running online. And I was just, you know, talking about like this person I had talked to or whatever. I was talking about porn because it was very normal in my life at the time. And I noticed that uh, the people in the back seat got like really quiet and they were in a relationship, heterosexual, you know, man, woman relationship. And um, I finally just stopped talking because like nobody was saying anything. And I was like, oh, this is awkward. And then she just started pouring out her soul about how 
she knew that he watched porn and to her it felt like cheating and she just and because of that she was not okay with porn at all none of it it was all bad because she perceived it as hurting her relationship and like I didn't even know her boyfriend this is like the first time that I'd spent any amount of time with him and he's sitting in the back seat like oh god (laughs) and like I was with my new boyfriend at the time and they didn't know each other at all it was a very very awkward conversation um and I don't really remember how I tried to explain to her that it's not the same as cheating because it was a long time ago but I think it was very much that idea that like it's not reasonable to expect that one person is going to provide every single thing for another person. And that, that goes for, for sexuality, but also everything else. I mean, you're like, you have friends for emotional support. And if you don't, that's a big problem. And you need to look at your relationship more generally. Um, You know, you, you go out to dinner instead of eating at home a lot. Like, it is that not doesn't mean yeah it doesn't mean that you hate your stove you're not cheating on your <laughs> stove when you're at the relation when you're at the restaurant are you like are you are you a stove cheater right and and I wonder how much of that that fear of losing your significant other to something somebody else is like comes directly from the idea that is so heavy on so many women's consciences that it is only acceptable to be sexual with your significant other, that you know we're not supposed to masturbate. We're not even supposed to want to masturbate. We're not supposed to be seeking things outside of a relationship because it is the relationship that sanctions the behavior. And, and that is a beautiful and very true. And we write that down because we're gonna do a show on that. <laughs> um, and my, my thought is women, you're human. We're human beings. We like to be stimulated from multiple different places in every part of our lives. You know, you can like sweet and salty and bitter if you like bitter. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's important to, to realize that like this, these centuries and centuries that we have developed of the idea that, you know, boys will be boys and therefore um, people who are not female are allowed to have these sexual appetites. Um, we may not like it, but we do give people who aren't female more of a pass for watching porn. Like you said, you know, when you were a kid, it was like, oh, well, it's okay for him to get porn because he's a guy. That's a really early belief that goes real deep. Um, yeah. And that comes from the idea that it's okay for men to have mistresses, which goes back centuries, you know, and women are not, you know, we're punished for that kind of behavior. Um and like those, those they're, they're really deep cultural beliefs and we hold on to them without even realizing that we're doing it. But one of the really cool things that has happened in the since Andrea Dworkin and all of that is that we now have third wave feminism, which is often called sex positive feminism, mm-hmm. which posits that women are allowed to be sexual and that they can be in charge of their own sexual lives and that that means that people who do sex work are not inherently victims and people who want to have sex with a lot of people are not inherently bad people. Um, and there's, I mean, there's so much material out there and that's where really most of the current like expansion in feminism, that's where the Me Too movement comes from, you know, saying like, it's okay for women to own their bodies and their sexuality um, 
whether or not their significant other is a part of that or not. So, uh, I don't know. That's a good thing. <laughs> I kind of talked myself is... into a corner. <laughs> that's all right. We're coming to an end of our show anyways. So, that's a good way to actually bring it back. Yes, we are in a new phase of sex positive feminism. Um, but again, I, I really want to say this for any movement. I'm coming back to the whole umbrella of the movement, all right, is that you need to do what is best and resonates with you. So just because there's a movement, just because people, because every time there's a movement, people say, here are the new rules. Just because oh, right. they're changing the rules doesn't mean that those new rules work for you either. Mm -hmm. So, and that those are the new rules and everybody has to follow those rules. There's no different than what it was like before. Oppression is oppression. So yeah. let's, let's call it what it is. Oppression is oppression. And if you are telling me or you are telling anybody that this is how you have to think, behave, and believe then my question to you is how is that any different than the thing that you're trying to change? So let's all take our own personal responsibility and allow ourselves to believe what we believe, to think what we think, and to look at it from that perspective of does this serve me or does this not serve me? Right, right. If anyone is telling you what to do, whether it involves a vibrator or not. Exactly. <laughs> Be skeptical. <laughs> yeah. Take a moment, check in. Is this what I desire? And is this work for me? And does this support the life that I want to have? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if part of that exploration involves you looking at some porn to, you know, discover what really works for you, you know, go, go forth, explore explore and it doesn't have to be all or nothing it doesn't have to be right or wrong or good or bad it's about what works for you it's always about what works for you <laughs> that's that's the mantra i want you to keep with you does this work for me now does this work does not this work for gaia or Lindsay or anybody else does this work for me and then I lovingly invite you to have people in your life who support that. Right. Whether that's partners, friends, family members. I mean, you don't need to tell your, you know, you don't need to have conversations with your family members about what porn genre you're watching. But, <laughs> you know, you should be able to have that conversation with friends that are close to you and, and not coming from a place of judgment. So mm -hmm. if you are surrounded with judgment, I lovingly invite you to release those people in their judgment and make space for non-judgment people to come in. Yeah. Because you deserve to not be in a place of constant judgment, not only externally, but internally to let go of that judgment of yourself mm -hmm. too, right? Thank Typically you. we have judgmental people around us because we often are judging ourselves and they reinforce that judgment. So when yeah. we stop judging ourselves, we tend to not like other judgy people and we tend to not <laughs> have judgy people around us because like, uh, I'm stop judging me. So I'm not going to allow others to judge me. Yeah. Oh, that's a lovely, lovely note to end on. Beautiful. 
So thanks for being on the show once again, Lindsay. Happy to be here. So tell us how we can spend more time with you. Uh, well, the, the easiest way is to go to my website, it's lindsayg.com, and I'm going to spell it because my name is spelled a little weird, it's L-Y-N-S-E-Y-G.com, and you can read my blog post, you can join my newsletter, you can find all my social media, et cetera, et cetera. It is all there. Beautiful. And you can spend more time with moi at GaiaMorissette.com, which is now my beautiful, sexy hub that will take you to all the fabulous things that I do in the world, which, by the way, is a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> go to start at the hub and then go do some exploring. <laughs> it's like porn. Go explore, Gaia. Explore, yeah. <laughs> um, and don't forget to check out my, I have lots of programs and courses and events going on all the time. And uh, we are always looking, I also host Tickle.Life's podcast. So if you are would like to be a guest on Tickle.Life's podcast to talk about your first of something, your first kiss, your first vibrator, your first, first anything, um, we would love to have you and we can make it so it's anonymous so that nobody knows. So if you're interested, reach out to me and I'll get you hooked up as a guest on Tickle.Life's podcast. All right. Have a juicy day. And don't forget, tip your hostess with the mostest, which is me. (laughs) And and you can do that through Patreon. Have a great day. Bye-bye.